Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 299 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is December 16th, 2013. We've got a big show for you this week on the podcast. A lot of questions to get to on this USC football team getting ready for Fresno State in the Las Vegas Bowl. If you have any questions or comments, drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Leave a, leave a question there, or you can even call 206-888-6755. Leave a voicemail there. We'll play it on the air. Let's bring in uh, well, Dan Weber later on the show. We're going to have Coach Harvey Hyde here in the first segment. What's going on, Coach? How are you? Well, Brian, it's a, it's a beautiful day. And I'm cruising down the 210 freeway. I had a meeting early this morning in Highland. And I can't wait to do the podcast uh, talk about the different happenings uh, regarding USC football. Yeah, it'd be great to talk to you this week, Coach. And uh, 299th episode, we got the big 300 next week. Should be fun. Uh, Southern California Tickets is our sponsor. I just want to remind people, sctickets.com is where you can go for any kind of tickets that you would need. If you want to go to the Rose Bowl, you want to go to the National Championship game, go to sctickets.com. They'll help you out or call 1-800-888-7287. Yeah, did you have any withdrawal, Coach, over the weekend with really no college football except that Army-Navy game? It was uh, sort of a withdrawal. Uh, I didn't know exactly what to do. So what I did is I took care of a lot of holiday parties, Ryan. I was invited to some holiday parties, and we did some holiday parties for little kids, uh, disadvantaged children. That Maybe this might be the only gifts they get the entire uh, holiday period. And I tell you, it was just absolutely fantastic. I love seeing little kids sit on Santa's lap and some crying. I'm happy taking pictures. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, well, coach, there's we got a bunch of questions coming in about this uh, this game and this team. But before we jump in, I just want to kind of get your thoughts on uh, you know the the Las Vegas Bowl. Uh, you're very familiar with the bowl. Um, you know, both teams I think have sold a lot of tickets to the bowl. They said it yesterday it was close to a sellout of, of what's going on there. And this USC Fresno State matchup. Just kind of get your overall thoughts on it. Well, Ryan, I think it's going to be a great bowl, especially if the Trojans uh, and the way it sounds uh, uh, will be motivated to go and take on a team that's 11-1 and and have pride enough to remember this bowl game and not want to forget this bowl game. I think that's one that everyone wants to think about it that way positively, especially I hope the players and coaches who are in a very unique situation feel this way about it, being successful, finishing the bowl game 10-3, and getting bowl rings and remembering to have the champion as far as winning your bowl game. You always remember your bowl game. It's a bonus to the season. It's, uh, it's an opportunity to really go out and represent your school and your team. And this year's team at USC really uh, has gone through a lot of uh, different types of, uh, I don't know how to explain it, uh, controversy. Uh, some positive, some negative, and this is a way to finish up the season in a positive way and go into a new era 
with a winning season as far as a winning season, 10-3, and three, and also winning a bowl game, not going into it as they did last year, losing a bowl game at the Sun Bowl. So I think it's a great opportunity for the Trojan football team. The Fresno State team is motivated. This will probably be their biggest game of the year, which it really is, Ryan. I know you're partial to Fresno State. I think Fresno State's a tremendous football program. I mean, it's partial as far as you know them better than I do and know their, what, who they are. But what I mean is Fresno State, this is their game. This is their BCS Bowl game. They were unfortunate. They didn't uh, get to a BCS Bowl game by being upset a 62-52 by San Jose State. But this is now a way for them to establish themselves in recruiting, uh, who they are, represent the Valley, all the things they talk about with the V on their helmet against USC. Now, myself, I think it's a great opportunity for USC at the same time as far as representing who they are and finishing the Pac-12. I don't know if you recognize this or not, Ryan, but every Pac-12 team, every one, is favored in their bowl game. Which goes uh, without saying that I believe this is one of the toughest conferences in America. Most of the only losses these teams have are among themselves. And uh, I think uh, this is a great challenge for USC to prove to people and the other Pac-12 members that it is one of the toughest conferences, if not the toughest conference, and uh, I think they could do it. I really do. Yeah, because 9-0, and that'd be pretty crazy, huh? Yeah, it could be. could be. And I'll tell you, I don't know if you checked the odds, but I checked that, and that's exactly the truth. Uh, all Pac-12 teams are favored. Even Oregon over Texas by 14, USC by 6.5 over Fresno State. And people say, oh, no, that's not right. Look out for Fresno. Yeah, look out for Fresno. But if SC decides to play which I think they will, look out for USC. Yeah, that's that's the big question. Will USC decide to play? And uh, we watched practice, and it, it looked like they're, they're motivated guys, but it, it's always it's not easy to tell sometimes between practice and the games. And uh, USC is going to have to show up in this game because I've got to watch Fresno quite a bit this year, and they really have a powerful offense. Their defense can play well at times. I think USC can't just sit on the ball. They're going to have to try to score. Because uh, I, I do think this Fresno State team is going to score on USC. Well, you know, they, they have a scoring machine, but you can score on Fresno State, too. And I don't think Fresno State has faced a team like USC. I've said this the entire season on this show and all the shows I do, that I wouldn't change USC's roster with any team in the Pac-12, including all the teams in the Mountain West Conference. So if my ex is bigger than your O and my ex is ready to go, then I'll tell you what, we're going to kick your butt. And uh, I don't see any reason why this team, I just can't see any reason why this team wouldn't be ready to go. I know they've been through a lot, but uh, the incentives of finishing out a winner, right? finishing out arena, uh, a winner, this team will be always thought as a great team that went through difficult times but yet won 10 games and won a bowl game. So, you know, I'm just telling you, uh, I would look optimistically uh, as far as the challenge bowl game. If I was coaching, we'd be ready to play. I'd make sure of that. All right. Well, we have a few questions to get to, Coach, um, about the team. And a lot of the, there's been a lot of talk about Steve Sarkeesian taking over as head coach. And I got some feedback from the last podcast, Coach, about they felt that we were too hard on Steve Sarkeesian. And we had, actually had Travis write in. Um, and, and give me 16 reasons why he thinks 
he wants to educate people on. Sorry, I can't really read them all. I mean, there's a lot. I think a lot of these things we have covered. But the last couple, you know, he talked about that Steve Sarkeesian's had a top 25 recruiting class the last four years. He's established relationships with the local recruits and coaches in Southern California. And he says that the last one he says is he's not all an X and O guy like Kiffin and he's not all emotion like Coach O. He's like Goldie, Goldilocks, kind of the right amount of the two. So we're getting a little criticism, Coach, for maybe being a little too hard on uh, harsh on the on the decision to hire Steve Sarkeesian. Maybe kind of get your thoughts on that. And for the, the people out there that really do no, – I'm not saying we don't support them, but I'm just saying there was some criticism of the process and all of that. No, I, I don't know. I think there – and I'll argue with the people in the process. I've only heard one side of the process, okay? I've never heard of Ed Orgeron's side of the process. So, you know, I'm, we're all assuming the process is what we heard. So I'm just saying the changing of the guard I don't think was done in a way where everybody could understand, including Ed Ardron, what went on. That's my main point as far as the changing of the guard. And I think that Ed Ardron didn't, didn't really prepare himself in saying, if I don't get this job, how am I going to act? And uh, I think this is a, a, a something that's very important as far as for the administration at USC and the athletic department as well as at Orgeron, so we don't have this type of ending to a great movie. Now, that's all I'm saying as far as the changing of the guard. As far as the supporting of Steve Sarkeesian, I never said I didn't support Steve Sarkeesian. I said that he was the best that was available at the proper time of this move and changing in the coaching staff. Uh, Nick Saban wasn't going to come. Urban Myers wasn't going to come. But yet, he is the best as far as right now at this time for the USC football situation because of the 16 reasons probably this gentleman wrote, such as he knows Southern California. He grew up in Southern California. He recruited the players that are currently on the Southern California team. Uh, all of those type of reasons make him a good fit at USC. Yes, he is a player's type of coach, yet he is a good X and O guy. I'm not comparing him with Lane Kiffin whatsoever. Two different complete individuals. But I think, too, that you can't overpromise what you can deliver. I think that can hurt you in the long run. I think you have to come in and say, we've got to put this program together, such as, first of all, getting a coaching staff established. Currently, right now, and you deal with recruiting, a lot of the players are waiting to find out who's the offensive line coach, who's the defensive coordinator. With these things now, I think it's about time they make the decisions on these coaches because it will hurt them in the long run. They have a lot of players that are ready to commit, and I think that it's important now to put that staff together, Ryan. But I'm, I'm not against Steve Sarkeesian as a hiring. I think he's the best hiring that was available. I think by far he was a better hire than Jack Del Rio or Chris Peterson. Jack Del Rio, not that he's not a great coach, he would have known one player on the, on the, uh, uh, the current roster at USC. He would not have been able to come in and influence players to stay, as well as recruit current players as well as Chris Peterson. Peterson, I thought he was a great fit at Washington. He had to get out of Boise State. It was time. Boise State is now declining. That's going to be a tough job for the new coach as far as going there, to follow the tradition of a Pete Carroll like Chris Peterson. Yet I think it's going to be tough for Chris Peterson, too, to make those necessary adjustments as far as the Pac-12. Plus, another plus to see Sarkeesian, he knows the Pac-12. So I'm not trying to debate it. I'm just trying to clarify my feelings. Okay. Uh, good stuff there, Coach. 
Uh, JD in DC wants to know. Um, he want to hear. He wants to hear your perspective, experience uh, on taking a new coaching job and honoring the previous staff's scholarship offers for student athletes that have already verbally committed, uh, not visiting other schools. They're seriously committed to USC. What do you think the policy should be with, or what's your thoughts on that when when a new staff comes in? Well, I think personally uh, that you should be able to evaluate the personnel yourself. I would not take a player if I didn't think that player could play. And I think that player would respect my feelings as far as coach, what offense and defense you're playing. If I don't fit into it, please don't do me a favor where I'm not going to be happy. Or if that player isn't up to the ability that you're looking for, please don't take me because I want to play football. So I would completely evaluate. I've done that before in programs I've gone into that players don't fit what we're looking for. They're below the standard of players that we're looking for or they don't fit the schemes that we're running offensively and defensively. And, I'd be, and I'm completely honest with the players. As a parent, I would want that coach to be honest with me so my kid is happy. I don't want to mislead that player. So I think Steve Sarkeesian should be able to uh, select and uh, maintain any verbal commit as far as going both ways. And the ones that he does not feel can play or fit in, I think he should notify those players immediately in a professional way. And move on. And I also think it's very important, too, that the players that he brings in plays at the level of what everyone's used to playing at at USC. So uh, if, it, if he's been at USC, which really helps him, because he knows the recruiting as far as the positive nuts and the type of players you can go after as far as USC in Southern California and Washington in Southern California. Washington's a great program. And it's probably good, too. But he also should utilize his contact in Washington, too, where he has a great contact with coaches and players and combine them both into a great recruiting class. Um, all right, let's go on to Mark, Coach. Uh, he wants to know, he said, Coach Harvey Hyde's indicated that to win in college football today, you have to run up-tempo and spread offense. How do you account for Alabama, Michigan State, and Stanford? And they don't do that. What do you, what do you think about what Mark had to say? Well, he just mentioned two. I can name the rest of the country with about 50, okay? <laughs> uh, I, so, yes, if you're Alabama and you get the best players, you get an all-five-star players, and you're Nick Saban with the best coaching staff in America and tradition, and, and that, yes, you can line up and smash mouth it with people and play great defense, and your percentage of chances of winning are excellent, which Nick Saban does, and he does it very well. But unless you are that type of football program, and I'll add one to it, Stanford. Stanford, with all of their 50-year seniors and their physical type of football, they can do it. But without that type of coaching uh, and without that type of player, you can't do that. I'm looking forward to seeing exactly what Stanford does next year when they lose all these offensive players on the defensive side of the ball and the offensive line on the offensive side of the ball. So it's a difficult type of football to play. Michigan State, yes, they win, but what type of conference do they play in? Let's, let's be completely honest. Uh, Ohio State, they beat Ohio State, but who did Ohio State beat this year? I mean, I think they're a great program, a great tradition, but I want to see them play in Auburn or Notre Dame. Or I, want, I want to see them play some top programs. I mean, they play, I want to see them play in the Southeastern Conference or play Florida, Florida State, and Alabama, where they could justify their ranking. You know, they played 
uh, you know, let them play Notre Dame. You know, Michigan State, take Michigan State. Michigan State's only lost this year to Notre Dame. Notre Dame's 8-4. I mean, Navy almost beat Notre Dame. Uh, Pittsburgh beat Notre Dame. So, you know, I think they have a great conference, and they publicize it well with the Big Ten Network, and, and they do a great job. But uh, is it the toughest conference in America? No, it isn't. So we'll see how that two, those two smash-mouth teams play in the Rose Bowl game. And if you look at the odds, Stanford's the favorite over uh, Michigan State in the Rose Bowl game. So, yeah, you can play smash-mouth if you're, if you're Alabama. And if you're Michigan State, when you play in that conference, you're playing in and play great defense. Then you can also uh, do it at Stanford when you have a bunch of fifth-year seniors. But can you do it in other programs? I'm not quite sure. And, of course, with the number of scholarships that USC has and so on, they've got to take advantage of the players they have. You can't win today playing 13 players on defense and leaving your players on the field the whole game. That was an amazing accomplishment that USC did against Stanford. Amazing. Yeah, it's just really tough to do, and I I can understand that – What's going on there? We'll see what Steve Sarkeesian does as far as offense goes. Uh, you know, it seems to be a little bit more up tempo. It's probably the, you know, it seems like that's a wave where everyone's going now. Maybe USC will get back to the the Smash Mouth stuff when, when they get the scholarships back. But as of right now, with the, the limited numbers, it seems like it's a really tough task to ask them to do that. It, it is, and uh, I think that you have to take advantage of your personnel, spread the field, uh, attack the perimeter do different things where USC had trouble defending this year. We all know they had trouble defending those type of offenses. So you've got to get the better athlete. If you get the better athlete, you can attack those areas better than anybody else. And USC is able to do that. Uh, we got one other question uh, from retired Sergeant Jesse Rodriguez. We like when he writes in. Wanted to gear my question toward the strength and conditioning program at USC. I'm tired of all the negative stuff about Sark and Orgeron. My question is, why does it seem like the USC players were pushed around in many of the games, specifically on the offensive-defensive line positions? It seems like those groups were not strong enough or conditioned conditioned up through the season. Teams that you know should not have been able to should not have been able to did. Uh, there's several teams we played with patchwork or very young lines who were able to impose their will on the USC lines. What's your thoughts? Thanks, guys. Fight on, Jesse uh, Rodriguez. Thank you, Jesse. Uh... I, I agree with you, Jesse. Uh, the offensive line at USC hasn't been as physical, which I expected them to be. As far as strength-wise, power-wise, uh, they've been tossed around a bit. Uh, they don't really have uh, the guns that other players may have. If you look at some of the other lines they go against, I know a lot of their players are young, but some of them are seniors, too. So I don't know uh, if what type of program they're on, because I'm not in the, the weight room or what their thoughts would be. Maybe their strength program is more co- into the conditioning and the quickness of an athlete, which I think is very important. But I think when you're playing in the front, you've got to be very physical and powerful at the same time. Now, you know, I'm not saying that USC's defense is not a great defensive front. It certainly is. Uh, but you've got to also have the type of guy that can play the nose and other positions that uh, that can uh, uh, drive offensive linemen backwards, uh, as you see goal line stand by a lot of these very physical defensive lines. Offensively, uh, they have not demonstrated a, a fire-out, smash-mouth type of offense. 
uh, as far as with the offensive line, I think they can improve there. Now, when I talk like this, I'm not being negative to the program. I'm just saying what I observe. When I'm asked a question, I try to answer that question. Uh, I think that they could be more physical. I think they could look uh, more stronger. I think that a lot of the players that play the offensive line are not muscle-toned up to that where I say, man, that guy can be that. I could see Wheeler now getting bigger. I, I think that uh, Turk can get bigger. I think that Marcus Martin can get more powerful. Yet, you know, there's some question that he might go to the uh, NFL, and he was voted the most valuable player, I think, offensive lineman and all of the above, which he deserves. Uh, but I think that you have to be a combination of power, strength, and quickness, and athletic ability, where you can go up the field, get to the second level, and finish a block. What um, tips to defend I, the, the strength and conditioning coach, uh, Aaron Osmus, has come in. I, I mean, we talked about the number situation. I don't know. Can you, how much can you blame on that? And how much can you blame on when you play 12 or 13 guys on defense, you're going to get pushed around a little bit. It doesn't really matter what the, what your conditioning is like at that point. You have to go the whole game against a team like Stanford. I mean, that that's a pretty you know tall order. Well, you know, it's unfortunate that as he experienced so many injuries, not just this year, but they've had them every year. And, you know, sometimes uh, you don't have any injuries and sometimes you have a lot of injuries. Uh, can you attribute it to uh, the weight room, uh, possibly. I would look at that. I would look at every single thing in my program if I was a head coach as far as why, what, what injuries, what type of hits were they, uh, reevaluate them all, uh, see what you're doing in the strength and conditioning room. Uh, all of this has to be judged because sometimes it could be a problem with powerlifting or, uh, or not the type of lifting that could be happening that you should be doing or hamstrings being pulled or high ankle sprains, not enough flexibility in your body. You've got to know, when you're a head football coach, you got to know what's going on in every phase of your program. you got to visit the weight room if you can. Someone told me a while back you can't go into the weight room, which I said, that sounds ridiculous, but sounds like some rules somebody would make up. But <laughs> it's just it's true, you know, you like to go in and see your players and encourage them. Now, you know, we're not coaching football in the weight room. We're going in to make sure everybody's doing what's supposed to be done. But, and you care enough about it, that's why you're in there. But, uh, yes, it's very, very important as a head football coach to know exactly what's happening. Yeah, the football coaching staff, the trainer, trainers as well as doctors, and also the strength coach have all got to be unified in what these exercises are, how they benefit the player, the whole package to make sure you're doing the right thing. In my programs, every player didn't do the same thing. You did it for the players and what they needed to improve on so that that individual program or that player would utilize your strength and conditioning program to get better at what he needs to get better at. All right, Coach. Well, we appreciate you. I know you're on the road, and uh, we appreciate you taking out some time to come back on the podcast no matter what. I know you don't hate to miss it, so we wanted to at least get your thoughts, and uh, we thanks again. thank you again for coming on. Hey, buddy, thank you very much. And for all of you out there to call in, uh, you make the show with your questions. Uh, please don't be afraid to challenge me. Remember, I enjoy that. I enjoy talking with all of you. A lot of you have great football knowledge. That's why you're out there. And uh, have a happy holiday, all of you. And uh, buckle up out there. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Thank you, Coach, and everyone else. Thanks again. Back in uh, back in a minute, we're going to be talking some USC football with Dan Weber. 
Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. we got Dan Weber, uscfootball.com. Beat Rider, he'll be out there in Las Vegas for the Las Vegas Bowl, USC versus Fresno State. We were over the weekend at USC football practice with some, some morning practices, Dan. It was a beautiful day out there. I don't remember practices like this for, for several weeks. It was pretty nice being out there in the sun. Yeah, this is a this is a different attitude and atmosphere. Uh, you know, with the Sun Bowl, I think last year it was always a question of, you know, as the question was for the last, you know, three and a half years, what would Lane do? Was he going to call the plays? Was he going to let his coaches take over? And, you know, I think at this point we weren't sure. And uh, we got to, you know, this, uh, El Paso, and gradually – it looked like the coaches weren't going to do it, and Lane was. And that turned into a, an absolute disaster in every way possible. And uh, there was just a lot more. It's amazing. In a year where basically you have coaches number three and four on the field at practice, uh, and that's something that's happened in the last two and a half months, there's less uncertainty than there was last year with Lane in charge. It's amazing. I mean, they, and it, it, it's a happier place. I mean, it's, uh, they're having fun in practice. It looks like they're getting stuff done. And, uh, you know, it, it is a different world for sure. Last year there was uh, just wasn't a good feel about things, even though I think people were hopeful it was moving in the right direction with the uh, uh, allowing of coaches to, to really be more of a part of, uh, of, of the preparation for the Sun Bowl. But when that got reversed toward the end and at game day, it all went south. Uh, so this year it looks like uh, this is the way, you know, people envisioned it. And, you know, guys are doing a couple and three things. Clay Helton, for example, who stepped in as interim coach, is also coaching the quarterbacks and also the offensive coordinator. So, uh, you know, this is a big uh, – Big, uh, you know, time for um, for Clay on his resume. I would think he's handling it. You know, from what you can see in practice. Again, what happens in practice? Does it uh, play out on the on the you know on the field on game day? Sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. And you, you re- that's one of the the wonders and the beauties of sports. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> but from what we can tell, he's doing a heck of a job. Yeah, it looks like they're more. It's a motivated team. People have asked me a lot: Are, Is USC going to be into this game? Is it going to be like the Sun Bowl? You get the feeling it's not going to be like the Sun Bowl. That guys will be motivated. But like you said, it's practice. It's really hard to say what the team's attitude is going to be like when they get off the bus and, and take the field in Vegas. Right. I mean, uh, you know, it's easy to make the case that um, all the uh, you know signs. Ha- would have it going south uh, when you think about the last time 
you know, they played here or USC's general, you know, record in, uh, in lower tier bowl games, that kind of thing. Um, you know, that, and then when you look at everything that's happened during the year, you would think, gosh, how do they, uh, how do they get themselves there and, and really be ready to go? But, uh, but I think this team has a chance to be ready to go. They look like they want to be ready. I mean, the the ten wins I, I, I season is it has to be a a motivator for these guys. I don't think they're just talking about it. I think they understand what that would mean to them for the rest of their lives to be able to say, you know, that they put together a ten win season despite it all. I mean, it would be one of those things you'd never. You know, you never forget. This would be an accomplishment that's, uh, you know, that really one of the better team accomplishments in USC football history, I think. Yeah, I agree. Ten and four. We'll uh, we'll see if uh, USC is going to get it done. It's certainly a tough opponent. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fresno State's not. Uh, I've been, you know, obviously I've followed them, and we're going to do a podcast later in the week. I think I'm going to get one of the Fresno State. Uh, TV analyst to come on a, a podcast. We'll we'll talk to them and get the USC fans more information about uh, Fresno State. So we got some. It's kind of a unique thing, just because I got to cover both teams this year. I got to see both sides of this, and certainly it's a it's a team that can put up a lot of points. And, and you know, I think they're going to test this USC defense, and I think it's going to be a really fun battle to watch. Well, and interesting too that the juxtaposition of you know this great great historic program going through turmoil no one's ever gone through before and you know Fresno State you know kind of out there in the you know the valley guys and uh just couldn't be more stable you know just the second year you know new coaching you know staff and all that but uh just you know as solid as you could possibly be uh kind of a you know a reverse role-playing kind of a thing where they come in with uh we know who we are we know how we do stuff and USC is just uh, you know, been scrambling uh, for you know how long uh, with with all the things that have happened. You know, at least four years of uh, of not having a a real good sense of where this thing is going, which is you know one of the things you would like to be able to see them um, go out the way they want to go uh, for this you know group of seniors who have gone through. Everything. None of this was what they envisioned, I think, when they came to USC. And yet, they still have a chance to go out with two 10-win seasons. That would be a really unbelievable accomplishment. You know, they got taken, two bowl, ga- two bowl years got taken away from them. Uh, you know, the coaches got taken away from them. Not that they probably <laughs> objected to that, but uh, uh, at least one of them. And... Uh, you know, who who would have ever signed on for this? I mean, that's just, just you couldn't even have begun to guess if you were trying to, you know, list all the, you know, calamities that might happen, you know, for a football program, you probably couldn't have gotten all of them uh, that, that have happened the last, you know, four years. Uh, well, we want to get to some questions if we can. And one of the big topics, it's not necessarily about the game, uh, but about the future of the program and, and the juniors, the draft-eligible juniors, uh, Julian had a question on that. He said, uh, I've taken note of what seems to be two very relevant points regarding college football players and their decision whether to leave school early for the NFL or not. First, and let me know if I got this wrong, it doesn't seem like any of Stanford's players leave early for the NFL, or if they do, it's rare. 
why do you think that is? And then second, Lawrence Jackson, someone who got drafted out of USC in the first round, emphasized on the Armchair Quarterback podcast that a player staying in school and finishing his degree, especially at a school like USC, with an extensive alumni network, and uh, was definitely the, the smartest li- would definitely be the smartest life decision. With all that in mind, shouldn't it be relatively straightforward for USC to retain the vast majority of its players throughout all of their years of eligibility? Shouldn't a USC player leaving early for the NFL be the rare exception? Couldn't staying through all those years of eligibility be something that's built into the culture of Trojan football? That's Julian. Well, you know, it's kind of a two-edged sword, though, when you look at it and you compare it to Stanford. Uh, I mean, one of the, you know, real attractions for USC is it's, you know, put more players into the NFL than anybody, more first-round draft picks, you know, and very proud of that. And uh, more uh, NFL Hall of Famers, all of those kinds of things. So I think for kids coming to USC, the NFL is a really big part of their professional future. There is no question of that. I don't think that's been the case at Stanford. I don't, I don't think that's been the uh, – that, that's exactly the same motive. You don't have the same set of circumstances for kids who choose Stan, Stanford as opposed to kids who choose USC. Uh, so uh, I just think there is a little bit of a different mindset in the culture at Stanford is – is is you stay, and the culture at USC has been the NFL. Doesn't mean that it's you you go now. We certainly had uh, you know with uh, Matt Leinart and uh, you know you know Matt Barkley and T.J. McDonald and, and guys who said you know I'm, I'm staying. This is uh, this is uh, you know what I want to do. Whether that works out, you know you know for the best at all all times. I don't, I don't think we you know we can you know say definitively this is the way to go or the answer that was good for this guy will be good for that guy uh i I just think uh you know they have to be kind of an individualized one and one of the hard things this year is what are you talking about when you say i will stay for usc football i mean you know 10 days ago um maybe uh maybe a couple of days longer than that you didn't know who was even going to be your coach yeah and how that would play out and how you would fit in. And, you know, if you're, say, a defensive kid and you're thinking, hmm, am I going to be running the third different defense and learning a third new defense uh, this coming year? Would I be better off learning that in the NFL than learning it at USC? Uh, USC hasn't made it easy for kids to stay around. And, uh, you know, that's the problem when you look at that is, under the NCAA sanctions, which absolutely do not let USC replace uh, transfers and replace kids who leave early for the NFL, one would have thought that one of the absolute strategies for USC, at, at, you know, under the NCAA sanctions, would have been stability in the program. Uh, one could have had a little more stability uh, recently, and yet USC has chosen to. Uh, change uh, coaching staff, basically. Uh, you know, it's, uh, they're not making it easy on kids to say, you know, I really want to stay. Because basically they're saying, stay and play for somebody you don't know. Right. For a position <laughs> coach you haven't played for before. Yeah. Uh, for somebody who doesn't know as much about USC football as you do. Uh, it's, it's not... 
you know, again, it's easy to second guess, but some of us were saying we're out in front of this and saying this is a consideration. If it's going pretty well with the guys who are here, you know, do you do you make a change or do you say, you know, we don't need to make a change right now? And so uh, asking these kids to, you know, hitch your wagon to uh, the University, you know, of Washington staff, for example, you know. Uh, it's a risk. It's asking a lot. Yeah, it's a risk for sure. So we'll we'll know that Julie in the next few weeks how many guys end up leaving, how many guys end up staying. Um, yeah, I think I think I think the decision it's going to be it's going to come down to how do the NFL valuations come out, and uh, you know where you know where where do you fit? And you know it's a. Uh, I mean, for example, I think Matt Barkley and T.J. McDonald thought for sure they knew where they fit, they fit when they decided to come back, and they knew what they were coming back for, and they, you know, they'd been here the, their whole career. So this was uh, that didn't even look like exactly a risk, as it turned out to be. Right. So you know, there are no uh, there are no sure things. Certainly not. Um, all right. Well, thanks for that one, Julian. Let's go, Tarek. I think Tarek or Tarek. Uh, T-A-R-I-K, excuse me if I pronounced that wrong. He says, with the losses of Morgan Breslin and Devon Kennard, we don't have the best personnel any longer to run a 3-4 defense and are more suitable to a 4-3. If we do run a 4-3, would it be a good idea to move Sua Cravens to weak side linebacker since he's a Shaq Thompson type of player? Wow. Uh, So we're going to model ourselves as Shaq Thompson players? (laughs) Uh, one way to think USC probably has has a better mo- you know models not to put anybody down, but uh, um, I think the point of the three, you know, or fifty-three basically is it's Clancy called it. It is it gave you a chance to uh, set the edge a little uh, a little bit differently, a little wider than you can in the four in, a, in the forty up front, and and then handle. Uh, you know, spreads a little bit better, and and I thought they did, and 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 I'm not sure I would just automatically, uh, you know, assume that that they don't have the personnel. Uh, they've got the line, you know, again, to make these decisions, not knowing what linebackers are coming back, uh, what George Uko is going to do. Uh, again, this might be one of those ones if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, deals. Uh, you know, much like we talked about with the coaching staff. Uh, you know, I'm, I would, I would say, I would like to refine what they were doing defensively with the people they were doing it with. Uh, and I don't know that I would would say two guys leaving uh, would be enough to say, oh, we've got to go a different way on defense. I mean, I, I know it looks, you know, in, in our fantasy football world. Of you know where you're, everybody's in charge, and all you gotta do is plug in this or do that or whatever. Uh, it, it, it works that way, but just to think that you can go to a third different defense in uh, in three years, I'm not sure that that I I would want to go that way. I'm I'm more of a you know stability and improve what you got, and and uh, I think they've they've really figured out some things with this defense. So. I'm not a I'm not a big one right now for uh, 
for changing. I think they've got they've got a lot of different things they can they can do out of this defense. They can go with a forty front, and they do a lot. Uh, but um, but I like the way you know the kids look like they know what they're doing. You know, obviously they they didn't show up you know to play against uh, Brett Hundley, and uh, that would be certainly one area one would like to take a look at in terms of going forward is to. How do you play the running quarterback, the really athletic, big, strong, quick guy? Uh, it seemed like uh, you know that was the, the one missing element. But uh, but I'm I'm not a big guy about let's go back to this or let's do that or let's you know not me. Yeah, just to be clear too, when Steve Sarkeesian was asked about what kind of defense they were going to run, he said it was going to be different. He said it would be a four-three-three-four type of hybrid where you can adjust to depending on the team you're playing. And that's exactly what Justin Wilcox runs, who was his defensive coordinator at the University of Washington. And, of course, we don't know. There's some limbo there with the buyout and all that stuff. We're not, we're not sure. I mean, it seemed to me from what he, what he said there, Dan, that that meant he was going to try to bring in Justin Wilcox. Now we don't know if that's going to happen. It seems like it could, but it might not. And if it doesn't, then maybe Clancy Pendergast stays, and then he has to go back and – I'm sure. I'm sure if he stays, if Pendergast stays, he's not going to make him change the way he runs his defense. But there's still a lot up in the air as far as who's going to be the defensive coordinator. Yeah, and absolutely. And and again, why you would want to change? I mean, you know, if you're bringing in Mark Narduzzi, uh, Derek Mason, maybe you say, you know, we have to go with with their vision of, of defense. But uh, but I'm not. You know, I'm not sure that you say. Let's get that defense that did what they did against Oregon and Stanford and you know UCLA. I don't know that that um, that vision and the execution that we saw, you know, is is necessarily something that I mean just the change alone. Even if it were you know proven that that's the way you need to go, uh, I'm not sure you want to go just to be you know changing it. Uh, but you know, again, coaches can't coach what they don't know. Uh, so it would just be, I think, kind of unfortunate if USC has to make another defensive change in, in philosophy and teaching. Uh, you know, a third straight year. Uh, all right, JD and DC had a question. Dan, when was the last time USC had an offensive line coach that had experience coaching in the NFL? I'm guessing Pat Rule. Uh, did I miss? Uh, well, no. James Craig did. He was the assistant line coach at Oakland uh, for Lane. So. Yeah. So there, there's some experience uh, there. So the so current he had NFL experience. Uh, I, I guess. Uh, well, Mike did. Mike Summers uh, uh, was the line coach at Atlanta. Uh, that wasn't a big part of his 33-year resume. He's basically a college coach. But uh, both of the current coaches coach in the NFL. Now Pat Rule, as much as he coached in co- you know college at Washington State, and Michigan State, and places like that, he just seemed, talked, thought like a an NFL coach. Uh, Mike Summers seems acts, coaches, teaches like a college coach. Uh, I think you need a college coach to be honest. Uh, he's a college player, you know, running college offenses. Uh, so uh, uh, I thought that. There got to be toward the end of Pete's tenure too much of a an NFL emphasis, and the kids thought, "Oh, that's great, 
you know, we kind of, you know, go through, it's not quite as physical. We go through the motions a little bit more. They uh, trust us a little bit more. And, and that probably wasn't the way to go. They are, you know, they're 18, 19, 20 years old. And uh, you only have them for 20 hours a week. And you probably can't coach them like you coach them in the NFL. Uh, so uh, that's not a giant – I mean, it's a selling point. And you can say, you're going to get coached by an NFL coach. But I'm not sure it's uh, always the best way to go. All right. Uh, well, we're talking about coaching staff. Uh, Mac D in Vancouver uh, had a question about the coaching staffs. He wanted you to rate – from 2010 to 2013, uh, Lane's coaching staff. So he, he lists all these guys. I don't want to kind of go through yeah. all of them. Um, but, you know, back in the – Joe Barry was a linebacker coach in, in 10 and 11. Uh, there was uh, – Scotty Hazleton was in 2012, Eckler in 2013. Gil Moore used to coach uh, receivers, and um, T. Martin you know, took over for that. Of course, Monty Kiffin was replaced last year. Uh, so there was, you know, definitely some changes. Uh, you know, Kennedy Palomalu uh, was around for the first three years. Uh, he said it seemed that the 2011 staff was by far the best, and 2012 was really hurt by the losses of Barry and Gilmore. 2013 was another good staff, and comparing them all, those were the two best years in terms of player development and getting better in the second half of the season. What do you think? You know, I, I don't know that 2011 was player development so much as coaches' realization that Matt Khalil is really good, and <laughs> so is Red Ellison. Maybe if we line up and run behind them, we'll be really good. And after, you know, four or five games of trying to figure that out, they actually lined up behind Matt Khalil and Red Ellison, and they beat everybody to death. But, you know, they were playing behind – as good a you know an offensive lineman has come out of college football in the last ten years, I think, and uh, Red Ellison might have been the best blocking back that we'll ever see in college football. Six five two fifty with a work ethic and all of that. So was that development? I'm not so sure it was development. I think it was mostly. And on top of that, you had Robert Woods and Marquise Lee, and uh, you know as much attention as Robert was starting to get. That's Marquis kind of running free as a freshman who people didn't know much about. So uh, to me, that was more a figuring it out uh, situation, uh, actually more than player development. You had the players, you just had to, you know, give them a chance to play. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, they were hurt. I, I think you know with uh, with Joe Barry leaving, but I think so much of that was what they were trying to do on defense. I'm not sure, you know, anybody, you know, could have come in here. And I mean, Joe Barry tried to, you know, figure workarounds, I think, uh, for Monty's defense. And he knew Monty and he'd been with Monty for so many years. And so I think that was an advantage that Joe knew how to, how to do that. You know, Mike Eckler has done an unbelievably good job this year. He's talking about player development, bring it along, true freshmen, uh, very little depth. I mean, everybody was holding their, you know, crossing their fingers about what was going to happen with that inside linebacker spot. And, man, they, they just couldn't have, couldn't have performed any better. So uh, Tommy Robinson, I think, masterful job coaching the running backs this year. In the first year, uh, with all the injuries and all the shuffling and 
you know, to bring along Buck Allen to go from, you know, fourth team at best uh, to start the year to MVP. I mean, that's, uh, that's Tommy Robinson. That's great coaching. You know, I think Kennedy, Kennedy did a nice, you know, was a, and they have a similar way about him, a toughness, a similar way that, you know, that they want their running backs to be tough. Uh, but um, and you could not, you just simply can't do a better job than uh, Tommy Robinson did this year. You just can't. I mean, the, the way he incorporated everybody, the way he had guys ready to play, uh, guys not, you know, getting down on on things when, you know, they weren't getting a chance. I mean, every single guy who's, who's gotten in there has made plays and, and gotten better. And, uh, you know, what he did with, you know, what they did with Buck Allen is, is phenomenal. I mean, I just, I don't know, sure there's been a better single coaching development, you know, in one, you know, one year with one player than what they've, uh, what they've done with Buck. So, you know, but then you go to places like they don't have a defensive back coach, you know. I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's hard to develop them. And, two offensive you know, line Clancy's, coaches. Yeah. Uh, you know, Clancy's, you know, hanging there. But that's, that's, you know, two out of the last three years, they haven't had one. Uh, and, uh, you know, dedicated to a full-time staffer. Uh, so, uh, you know, they pay the price for, you know, for some of those, uh, you know, coaching decisions. And you know, there's obviously been the shuffle on the offensive line. They kind of pay the price there. Uh, you know, uh, and it's really hard to evaluate. You know, new, new backs are now coaching the tight ends, but they've been hurt so much during the year. Um, you know, T. Martin with the wide receivers, again, they've been hurt. I mean, he spent as much time in the middle of the season coaching walk-ons as he was, uh, you know, coaching, you know, Marquise and, and Nelson. And you talk about player development with how, how, uh, how you know, Nelson Aguilar has come on. Uh, so this has been a this has been a really I think in a lot of ways this coaching staff has has done a you know terrific job this year. And I'm not sure I would just look at results you know like comparing 2011 and 2013 and and, and say that that's exactly reflective of the coaching staff. Uh, I think this, these guys and you know basically and I I'll go along with them. It's the last eight games that you can measure them by because there were a lot of ways that they were inhibited from coaching uh, before that. So they all basically started with Ed did, uh, you know, for the Arizona game and, you know, picking it up in the middle of the year like they did. I think this is a good, this is a good job this year. Uh, Jamal wants to know who's going to be the strength and conditioning coach next year. Coach Osmus has not produced the athletes. I don't know. I think it's interesting. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Well, uh, did you hear? Uh, I don't know if it cut out there. It said Coach Osmus has not produced the athletes that other programs have. We have a state-of-the-art facility that needs someone who knows what they are doing. We need more speed and explosiveness. So Jamal, not real happy with USC strength and conditioning coach. Really? Okay, that's interesting. I guess it's the same. I know people are writing and saying, you know, we need to get that guy from Stanford. He's really good, and I think he is really good. Okay, but then. Uh, I think, wait a minute, was this USC team the team with 13 guys, 12 guys on defense that stood Stanford <laughs> up and off at the end? You know, was it, who was the stronger team at the end of that game? It looked like it was a team that had USC strength and conditioning coach, if I'm not mistaken. And so I'm not sure. Honestly, you know, 
I didn't go to any this year in the in the Numa K Center, but you know, I used to go to some of the early sessions, and you're technically not really supposed to be there because of the you know somebody get hurt uh, to be one thing the way they do them, but you know, Aaron Osmus has, has let us come in, and I don't I don't know how categorically people can just say, uh, you know, this is not the job's not getting done. I mean, for example. Uh, the Lifter of the Year Award went to Chad Wheeler, who, you know, not long ago was 229 pounds. Now he's 295. He's not really ready. He's not an All-American left tackle. No, but he's a freshman. He was a freshman All-American. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think these are when – you, when you think about how this team did with, you know, basically – they were playing with 46, 47 scholarship players. Uh, you know, the last eight, you know, eight games, and probably even before that a little bit, uh, they hung in there pretty well, actually. They're pretty healthy right now. So uh, it surprises me the number, you know, where you see the, the categorical, oh, there's somebody better out there after the year this team's gone through and they're, the way they've hung in there and the kind of results uh, that they've gotten. I'm, uh, I'm surprised, to tell you the truth. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. We appreciate you coming on the show and sharing the insights. Next time we talk to you, it'll be after the Las Vegas Bowl game. So it'll be, uh, it'll be fun. Enjoy your time out in there, Las Vegas, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Very good. Thanks, Ryan. All right, everyone else, thanks very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to try to do a Fresno State preview podcast with uh, some of my contacts up in Fresno. We might try to get a recruiting podcast in there this week as well. So stay tuned for all that. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.